Hello, listeners. Thank you for joining us on Iris today. You're listening to the reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. It's Friday, December 22nd, and I'm your volunteer reader, Bob Young. Let's take a look at today's weather forecast first thing. This coming from KCRG. Some of the best chances for rain we've seen in a while make up most of the holiday weekend, with unseasonable warmth to accompany it. Temperatures this morning are already starting in the low to mid-40s, with little concern needed toward wind chills with light wind. An area of rain is moving into eastern Iowa from Missouri and will slowly shift to the northeast throughout the area. The latest indicators are this rain may take a little longer to fully move through, so the chance for wet weather continues until just a little after sunset this evening. Rain will be harder to come by in our far northwest and northern counties today, but many will see at least a little bit. Highs reach the mid to upper 40s. Fog is possible at times today, with a tendency to become denser and more widespread this evening into tonight as the rain exits. Visibilities could go as low as a quarter of a mile or less, So, if you have travel plans this evening or early Saturday, you may have to contend with this. Plan on a little extra time to get where you're going, reduce your speed, and use low beams in foggy areas. Most of Saturday should be spent precipitation-free, aside from a little mist in areas where fog persists. Visibility may tend to improve by midday into the afternoon, with even a couple of brief breaks in the clouds possible. Temperatures will also take another jump, with highs in the low 50s, north to the mid to upper 50s south. The chance for rain picks up again Sunday, along with a few areas of fog being a possibility. Winds also increase on Sunday, as the main area of low pressure begins to move toward the state and strengthens a bit as it does. Half an inch to an inch of rain is possible from Sunday into Sunday night, making for a fairly wet Christmas Eve. We'll likely reach our warmest temperatures of this stretch, too, with highs in the low to mid-50s for most of us. Rain stays likely into Christmas as well, as the low pressure gets cut off from the weather pattern and swirls nearby. We could be on the warm side of the storm, allowing precipitation to stay as rain through Christmas. Another half an inch to an inch of rain could take place on the holiday itself. Temperatures will generally reach the upper 40s to lower 50s. In the wider Christmas travel outlook, if you're doing travel locally in eastern Iowa, then you won't run into many issues in and around the extended holiday weekend. Watch out for fog on Friday night and Saturday. Use safe driving techniques in areas of rain, too, such as turning on headlights, slowing down, and giving yourself extra stopping distance in case of loss of traction. Nationwide, it's the storm system affecting us that will be the biggest weather maker over the next few days. Showers could linger in the Great Lakes on Saturday, with rain and snow toward the Rocky Mountains as the first sign of the large storm system developing. The west and east coast look quiet during this time. On Christmas Eve, rain stretches from the Gulf Coast up to Minnesota. With snow and wind on the backside, 
potentially causing hazardous travel in western Nebraska and the Dakotas. On Christmas Day, heavy precipitation comes ashore in the Pacific Northwest, with rain spreading into Deep South and Ohio Valley. New England looks quiet, with only wintry weather concerns in Nebraska and South Dakota. Depending on the amount of cold air that gets wrapped into the system, far western Iowa could see some snowflakes for Christmas. A similar picture will be present in the country on Tuesday after Christmas. Now we turn back to local news from The Courier. Cedar Valley pastors offer message of hope and inclusion for Christmas 2023. Story written by Holly Hudson-Hill. In light of international conflicts, a fraught presidential election season, and other contemporary challenges, clergy across the Cedar Valley are preparing their Christmas sermons in hopes of connecting with parishioners and guests through messages of hope, peace, and inclusion. At Nazareth Evangelical Lutheran Church in Cedar Falls, the theme of this year's holiday sermon is When Love Came Down. Quote, simply put, we will focus on the birth of Jesus and our response to his coming, said Mike Brost, interim pastor. Quote, the gift of Jesus is not once a year, it's every day. We need to connect with him every day, unquote. Brost said he puts in a good 24 hours plus when constructing his Christmas sermon. Quote, I start thinking about it in October, he said. Others are week to week. We will have a lot of visitors, people who haven't been to church for a while. You try to connect with them if you can, unquote. Brost has been collaborating with Tim Brotker, Nazareth's interim associate pastor. Quote, For the last few weeks, we have been celebrating the four themes of Advent, hope, peace, joy, and love, Botker said. Our Christmas sermon will focus on love. The deepest longing of the human heart is to experience transcendent love. Our greatest desire is fulfilled by Jesus, and we are fully engulfed in that for all eternity. It's the most important message we can share with people. Quote, People are looking for love everywhere, in all the wrong places, he said. They are looking for it in a cause or in a candidate. Those things aren't going to heal us or make us whole. It's his mercy, his kindness, and gentleness that work in people's hearts. Quote, Whether you put that into the context of political oppression or a cultural environment, a military environment, or a political environment, it is applicable in any environment, unquote. Botger said when preparing to write a Christmas sermon, he studies the scriptures. Quote, I see which gets impressed on me, and I highlight them. I let the scriptures speak to me in the person of Jesus. This is what we're celebrating, and I'm excited to share it. Quote, I try to live it, go over it two or three times. I get moved by the scriptures and I have to harness that in a good way and present it in a good way, unquote. Nazareth at 7401 University Avenue was founded more than 150 years ago and draws about 500 people to its Sunday morning services. On Christmas Eve, there will be services at 3 and 5 p.m. and a candlelight service at 10 p.m. 
Fairly new on the religious landscape is the non-denominational Hope City Church, founded eight years ago by Pastor Quovetus Marshall and his wife, Angela. Quote, we had a dream in our heart to have a church where everyone is welcome, the pastor said. We are multiracial, multigenerational, multi-ethnic church. We are a church of people who want to make a difference with people who are different. Marshall said his Christmas sermon will focus on the first family, Mary and Joseph, who found themselves in an unexpected situation. Quote, they were unprepared for what happened to them, he said. It was inconvenient. They didn't plan it. Sometimes the unexpected is a gift in disguise. Quote, God coming in the form of a baby was an unplanned gift. We will look at their response to that unexpected gift and example they set by how they dealt with it. Quote, but people often reject the unexpected gift because they don't trust the gift giver, God. Some people preach love but live hate. I want to bridge that gap. He's the glue, not the politics or party or race or gender. Marshall said his wife is his number one sounding board when working on a sermon. Quote, she gives me a different perspective, he said, and I will talk to our team about it. It is a group process. When all is said and done, it is a greater representation of the people we serve, unquote. Marshall said Hope City draws about 1,000 people to Sunday services from as far as Des Moines. He said that will double this Sunday. Due to ongoing renovations, Hope City is currently worshiping at the Waterloo Convention Center at 200 West 4th Street. On Christmas Eve, services will be held at 9 and 11 a.m. at Cedar Heights Baptist Church, 2430 Neola Street in Cedar Falls. Teaching Pastor Jeff McCourt said the theme will be Christmas Outside. Quote, we will be leaning into and focusing on the fact Jesus came to us and his birth happened far away outside of the centers of power, religion, authority, reputation, or wealth. It involved people on the outside, those kicked to the margins of life and society, immigrants, refugees, the poor, the forgotten. I have the great privilege of taking this message to the people. Quote, if you look at the birth of Jesus, the angels came to the shepherds, who were seen as so dishonest that they were not allowed to be witnesses in legal proceedings. For God to pick them sends a powerful message. We will discuss Anna, an elderly woman at the temple when Jesus is brought there. She is elderly, a widow, childless. She makes a purposeful appearance. And the wise men, they are geographically distant, religiously distant, pagan stargazers, but they end up becoming worshipers. Quote, we are focusing on outside the normal, the unexpected. Unlikely is a word we've used a lot, he said. McCourt said he relies on the Bible to craft his sermons. Quote, the Bible is particularly valued in our church, he said. God's word is applicable and relevant. That's the truth we want people to know about. That's the beginning, the end, and everything in between, unquote. McCourt said he treats each week's sermon the same. Quote, every week, our church family values the preaching and teaching from the Bible. That is the main thing they want me to do. Every week, 
I'm writing a 3,500-word article. There are 52 jewels God gives us each year. I take them all seriously. McCourt said about 250 people attend services on a typical Sunday. A worship service is scheduled for 10.15 this Sunday, as well as a 6 p.m. Christmas Eve service. Father Noah Dime serves as pastor for both Immaculate Conception Catholic Church in Gilbertville and St. Joseph Catholic Church in Raymond, and is basing his Christmas sermon on a popular hymn, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. It starts off happy enough, Dean said, but it gets to There Is No Peace on Earth. I am focusing the message through the lens of this song. Quote, We face war and violence and homelessness, poverty, hunger, all bad things in the world. But the song is one of hope. Quote, Looking at Christmas story and reading of Annunciation of the Angels to the Shepherds, it deals with circumstances of Jesus' birth. Quoting the passage, he said, quote, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Unquote. It is both Ukrainian and Russian. It is for both Israel and Palestinian, he said. Quote, I usually preach from notes, a bit extemporaneously, Dime said of his sermon writing process. Quote, I can craft my notes in a couple of hours, unquote. He does not feel added pressure around the holidays. Quote, it is a reason to be extra hospitable, welcoming, and kind, he said. My only hope is that people value living with faith, the faith that Jesus came to bring. People are always welcome at church, unquote. The two parishes serve about 920 households, and services will be held at 4 p.m. Saturday at Immaculate Conception at 311 15th Avenue in Gilbertville and 5.30 p.m. at St. Joseph in Raymond. On Sunday, Mass will be held at 8 a.m. at Immaculate Conception, while Christmas Masses will be held at 5 p.m. Sunday at St. Joseph and 5 and 9 p.m. at Immaculate Conception. Christmas Day services will also be held at 8 and 10 a.m. Monday at Immaculate Conception. Pedestrian hit by car Wednesday in Waterloo dies in the hospital. Story filed by Jeff Reinitz. Dateline Waterloo. A pedestrian who was hit by a vehicle Wednesday night has died. Details and the identity of the deceased weren't immediately available, but Waterloo police confirmed the 68-year-old man died at University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics in Iowa City. The crash happened around 5.12 p.m. Wednesday on U.S. Highway 218 near the Hawthorne Avenue intersection. The man was in the roadway and was struck by a passenger car, according to initial reports. The driver stopped and police and paramedics were notified. Crews with Waterloo Fire Rescue took the man to Mercy One Waterloo Medical Center and he was transferred to an Iowa City hospital. Car catches fire following police chase in Evansville and Elk Run Heights. Story filed by Jeff Reinitz. Evansdale, a Waterloo woman, has been arrested following a police chase Wednesday through two towns that ended in a crash and fire. 
Authorities said a Dodge Caravan crashed into another vehicle at the Quick Star on River Forest Road around 5.15 p.m. and then drove off. Evansdale police attempted to stop the caravan at Gilbert Drive and Evans Road, but the vehicle fled, going 60 miles an hour in a 30-mile-per-hour zone, without headlights and throwing out sparks from a flat front tire. And here we have a photograph of a fireman in full protective gear, and he's fighting this car fire, and to say it's fully engulfed in flame would be an understatement. Blackhawk County Sheriff's deputies joined the pursuit, which entered Elk Run Heights and eventually returned to Evansdale. The caravan crashed into a fence on James Street and caught fire. The driver was detained a short time later, and officers discovered the vehicle had been reported stolen from Superior Welding in Waterloo that morning. Jordan sentenced to life plus 10 years in Burn Pit Homicide, story written by Jeff Reinitz. Dateline is Cresco. Javon Jordan will spend the rest of his life in prison for killing his friend in 2022. And, as a symbolic measure, Jordan on Monday was sentenced to an additional 10 years for cutting up the body and burning it in his backyard. Quote, nobody wants to see a murder at all, but to see it done in this fashion where a family can't even have a body to look at. They have pieces. They have shards. They have unrecognizable things with chop marks in them to remember their loved one by. That's heinous and monstrous, said Assistant Attorney General Monty Platts, who prosecuted Jordan and secured guilty verdicts for the first-degree murder and abuse of a corpse during trial. Authorities allege Jordan, 26, formerly of Elma, blamed Jonathan Esparza for meth that was stolen from his home on October 13, 2022. Esparza, 30, of New Hampton, disappeared a short time later, being last seen on the night he told friends he was going to Elma. More than a month after that, investigators found charred bone fragments, car keys, and a necklace in a burn barrel behind Jordan's home fragments that were identified as the last remaining traces of Esparza. During a sentencing hearing in Howard County District Court in Cresco on Monday, Esparza's relatives had a chance to vent their feelings. Esparza's father, Henry Esparza, of San Antonio, Texas, attended by a video link, recalling fond memories of his son. Quote, This animal took that away from us. Henry Esparza said, This animal who has no respect for life. Unquote. He called Jordan a coward, bully, and a punk. He described him as psychotic and evil. Quote, no place in society should have an animal like this, the father said. Henry Esparza said he will remember his son forever. Turning to Jordan, he continued, quote, You have already been forgiven. When I throw away garbage, I forget about it, unquote. Quote, I can never forgive you for the horrible acts you did to our Jonathan, said Courtney Chandler, one of his sisters. Another sister, Aaron Tyler, said the family knew Jonathan Esparza was wrestling with addiction and had hoped he would turn his life around. Quote, We've seen the destruction that drugs cause, 
and we've also seen the power of God to transform lives. We had that hope for Johnny. That was taken from him, said Tyler, who urged Jordan to turn to religion. Tyler also talked about the fear she experienced when her brother was missing, and how, after her brother's remains were found, she could only sleep by piping music or an audio Bible through her headphones to drown out the images in her head. Quote, the mental torment of hearing how things went down was more than I could handle, she said. Jordan declined to address the court during the hearing. Quote, I have nothing to say, he said. His defense attorney argued for a new trial, saying there wasn't sufficient evidence to support the guilty verdicts. Platts resisted the request, saying jurors were able to use the facts of the case to reach their conclusion. Quote, we can infer both premeditation and intent from relationships and also by considering some actions taken after the fact. An innocent person wouldn't need to hack a person apart in order to conceal what happened. Judge Laura Parrish also ordered Jordan to pay $150,000 to Esparza's estate. Platts noted Jordan owned a house and several vehicles, assets that might be liquidated for restitution. Signing Day Trio of Tigers Signed with Big Ten Programs Story filed by Ethan Petrick Dateline Cedar Falls The Cedar Falls High School football practice field saw a preview of a Black Friday in the future. For the last four years, Drew Campbell and Jake Peters went toe-to-toe in practice, honing their craft as iron-sharpened iron. Quote, we had so many good battles out there, Cedar Falls head football coach Brad Remert said. It is one of those you kind of had to tone it down on the field, but they got each other better. And the reason why they are going on to these schools like they are is because of the work they put in against each other and the way they compete, unquote. On Wednesday, Campbell signed with Iowa as a consensus three-star defensive line prospect, and Peter signed with Nebraska as a consensus three-star offensive line prospect. Peters re-emphasized his relationship with Nebraska's coaching staff, led by second-year head coach Matt Rule, as his reason for picking the Huskers. Quote, they told me they believe in me 100%, Peter said. I want to be part of a program that believes in me. You can see just what the coaches have done during this season. I am excited to play for those guys. Quote, I am super excited to work with him and all the other Comets in my class. For Campbell, Iowa just felt like that is where he needed to be. Quote, it felt like that is where I would thrive the most, Campbell said. That environment, they really push to work hard and push you to be the best person you can be. So, I felt that is where I fit in best, unquote. And, he is not going to put pressure on himself to be a replica of his older brother, Jack Campbell, who became a superstar linebacker for Iowa before becoming a first-round pick of the Detroit Lions in the 2023 NFL Draft. Quote, I am not going to worry about trying to impress people just because Jack is my brother, Campbell said. I am going to go there and do whatever I can to, like, hopefully win my own awards and do whatever I can do best, unquote.
sitting side by side during the Cedar Falls Signing Day Ceremony, inking their names on national letters of intent. The two set up a not-so-unlikely future where they face off on the gridiron in Kinnick Stadium in Iowa City or Memorial Stadium in Lincoln. It is an exciting prospect for both. Quote, it is going to be nothing new, Campbell said. It is going to bring out the best in both of us like it did all year. It is really exciting to go against old teammates, unquote. It's going to be super fun. Two Cedar Falls kids going up against each other in the Heroes game, Peters said. I am looking forward to that moment. The pair of future Heroes game combatants were not alone on Wednesday, as Colin Conrad also signed with Iowa for baseball during the ceremony. Coonrat chose the Hawkeyes because of their ability to develop talent. Quote, Iowa's coaching staff is one of the best in the country, Coonrat said. Their development is the best in the country, in my opinion. They have the highest ceiling out there of anybody in the country. It just feels like home there, unquote. Teammates on the Tigers football team, Coonrat, Campbell, and Peters, all offered similar s- sentiments about sharing the signing day ceremony with each other. Quote, I am proud of those guys, Peter said. I was blessed to play with them during the football season. It is fun to see all their hard work pay off as well, unquote. It is really cool to be with those guys all through high school and junior high, Coonrad said. And seeing them succeed, it is an honor to be their friends and be around them all of high school. It is really cool to see how they are succeeding in life, unquote. According to Remert, each program that landed a Cedar Falls Tiger on Wednesday got better. Quote, these are excellent kids, Remert said. You look at the All-State and their stats, that is awesome. They are all captains, and there is a reason why. They are hard workers, they are leaders. People will follow what they do. And the programs are getting quality kids. They are all multiple sports kids, and that is huge. Remert also noted that each of the trio reaching the Power 5 level speaks volumes about the athletic program, coaching, and individual athletes at Cedar Falls. Quote, the fact that these kids can be successful in multiple ways says a lot about the coaches, Remert said. Not just about the head coaches, but the assistant coaches. I will say that about our football program, the young men that we develop, a lot of credit goes to those assistant coaches helping them, and those kids are willing to put the work in and pay attention to the details. Former Water Schools employee wins jobless benefits after marijuana bust. This filed by Clark Kaufman of the Iowa Capital Dispatch. A former Waterloo Community Schools educator who was fired after police found three pounds of marijuana at her home is entitled to jobless benefits, a judge ruled. According to state records, Amy Garrison Perkins was employed by the Waterloo Community School District as a behavior interventionist at Expo Alternative High School earlier this year. In September, police went to the school and served a search warrant on Garrison Perkins in connection with the search of her home. Garrison Perkins allegedly informed the district's chief human resources officer 
that she had a medical marijuana card, officially known as a medical cannabinoid registration card, and that because it was too expensive to legally purchase the product from vendors, she was growing marijuana at home. Garrison Perkins allegedly told district officials she was authorized to have four grams of medical marijuana in connection with her medical prescription, but that law enforcement had removed three pounds of marijuana from her home. Under the terms in which Iowa's medical cannabinoid registration cards are provided, Garrison Perkins was prohibited from possessing cannabinoid in any form that could be smoked or eaten. Several weeks after the search took place, Black Hawk County prosecutors charged Garrison Perkins in October with conspiracy to manufacture marijuana. Court records indicate police executed the search warrant at her home after spotting five marijuana plants that were plainly visible in her backyard. A jury trial is scheduled for January. The district fired Garrison Perkins, and she subsequently applied for unemployment benefits. After a hearing dealing with that application, Administrative Law Judge James Timberland noted that the district had no policies applying to off-duty conduct and that Garrison Perkins's actions did not involve the school, students, or staff. Timberland awarded Perkins unemployment benefits, adding that the decision, quote, in no manner condones the claimant's off-duty misconduct, unquote. And now, listeners, we'd like to just take a moment to remind you that you're listening to the reading of the Waterloo-Cedar Falls Courier for Friday, December 22nd, on IRIS, I-R-I-S, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and the Print Handicapped. Now, let's listen to this public service announcement. Imagine someone hiding a gambling problem. How exhausting it must be, seeing the losses pile up and feeling powerless to control it. Now imagine it's someone you love, your spouse, your child, your friend. Talk to them to understand where they're coming from. Because anyone can have a gambling problem. They just need help getting their life back. Call 1-800-BETS-OFF to get help for them and you. And now, let's turn to the opinion section. Our first editorial today was printed in the Storm Lake Times pilot, and it's titled, Ten Possible Reasons Why Kim Reynolds is America's Most Unpopular Governor. This editorial was written by Doris J. Kelly, who is Emerita Iowa House of Representatives and Emerita Chair and Vice Chair of the Iowa Parole Board. After being elected to the Iowa House of Representatives in 2009, I met newly elected Iowa Senator Kim Reynolds, where some of us bipartisan veteran legislators were giving advice to newly elected delegates. My next interaction with Ms. Reynolds was after being appointed by Governor Terry Branstad, confirmed by the Senate 49-0, to serve as Vice Chair of the Iowa Board of Parole. IBP. When I was promoted to IBP's chair, I met quite frequently with Governor Branstad and Lieutenant Governor Reynolds, 
appraising them of the progressive measures IBP was undertaking. Two recent surveys, one taken on October 31st and the other on November 27th, by Morning Consult, identified Ms. Reynolds as America's most unpopular governor. Quote, Her unpopularity increased partly because of a surge in negative sentiment among independent and Republican voters during a year in which she signed a strict anti-abortion law and took a lashing from former President Donald Trump, unquote. What has happened to Iowa since Ms. Reynolds assumed the office of governor on May 24th of 2017? Here's a list. Number one, the Iowa Supreme Court unanimously ruled that Governor Reynolds violated Iowa's public records law, causing Iowa's citizens to fork over $174,108 in attorney fees to settle three lawsuits. Thomas Story, ACLU of Iowa attorney, stated, quote, Nobody's above the law. It starts at the top, unquote. Number two, during the fiscal year 2014, and through 2023 time period, when Ms. Reynolds served as Iowa's lieutenant governor, or governor, over $108 million has been spent of Iowa taxpayers' hard-earned money to settle lawsuit claims. She, her GOP legislators, and employees' actions have cost Iowa citizens dearly. Number three. Iowa ranks 49th in this nation for its ratio of inspectors to care facilities as per U.S. Senate Special Committee on Aging and reported in the Iowa Capital Dispatch. Number four, Families for Better Care ranked Iowa nursing homes as 37th in America. Staffing shortages exist in 42% of Iowa nursing homes. Number five, the National Center for Education Statistics notes 6.6% of Iowa's K-12 students, that's 19,226, are homeschooled, whereby Governor Reynolds approved there would be no curriculum standards, no required learning assessments, no abuse record checks on parent-teachers, and no attendance monitoring. Accountability is void. Number six. ALEC, which is a far-right-wing American Legislative Exchange Council, who should be kind to Iowa, a red state, gives Iowa a 41st-place rank of its K-12 school system and an overall C-minus grade. In the 1990s, Iowa consistently ranked in the top five. Number seven, Iowa ranks number 29 on public education funding. Despite Iowa desperately needing to improve K-12 public school funding, Governor Reynolds and the GOP-controlled legislature allocated $107 million to pay for private school vouchers, which could result in a potential loss of $54 million in state aid to public schools. Note, 62% of Iowans oppose the school choice law. And this is from a poll conducted by Seltzer and Company. Number eight, Iowa ranked as the 12th most obese state in 2022. Iowa's House, Senate, and Governor 
all GOP-controlled, passed legislation tightening SNAP program rules that helps lower-income families afford more nutritional foods and requires an asset test, potentially kicking thousands of recipients off the SNAP program. Number nine, under Governor Reynolds' unbridled leadership, Iowa Department of Health and Human Services has failed to comply on 50 of 65 standards from the Iowa's 2022 contract with America's Justice Department in operating the state-run Glenwood Resource Center for People with Disabilities. This was exposed by the Iowa Capitol Dispatch. And number 10, Governor Reynolds and the GOP legislature shifted the local property tax levy for mental health care to the state general fund, causing Iowa to now rank number 50, that's last place, in the nation for staffing psychiatric beds and 96% below recommended standards, filed by the North Scott Press. These are just 10 examples of Ms. Reynolds governing a state that ranks 30th in population. Imagine Governor Reynolds being vice president, a congressperson, or holding a cabinet position. Oh, lordy, no. Many would argue Governor Reynolds has met the long-held and revered business definition of the Peter Principle, quote, rising to a level of respective incompetence, unquote, rightly earning the label as America's most unpopular governor. Next we have, How Long Do You Send Out the Dog If He Won't Hunt? This was written by Rick Moraine, and it begins with a quote from the Bible, quote, The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the fathers suffer for the iniquity of the son. This is from Ezekiel 18, verse 19. The U.S. Justice Department has developed a pretty strong case against Hunter Biden, 53-year-old son of President Joe Biden. On Thursday last week, in the Southern California Federal Court, Special Counsel Dave Weiss filed a nine-count, 56-page indictment handed down by a grand jury against Hunter Biden on alleged tax crimes for tax years 2016 through 2019. The counts include three felonies and six misdemeanors. They claim that Hunter avoided paying at least $1.4 million in federal income taxes, some of those savings allegedly siphoned away from his companies. The indictment includes a chart of the married man's spending over the period in question that included $683,212 in payments to various women and $188,960 on adult entertainment. A quote from the indictment sums it up, quote, Between 2016 and October 15th of 2020, the defendant spent this money on drugs, escorts, and girlfriends, luxury hotels, and rental properties, exotic cars, clothing, and other items of a personal nature, in short, everything but his taxes, unquote. But wait, there's more. Last Thursday's indictment is in addition to three gun-related charges. Weiss filed against Hunter Biden in Delaware 
in September. Hunter is accused of making false statements on a federal firearms form in order to obtain a Colt Cobra revolver, which he possessed for 11 days in 2018, when he was addicted to drugs. He's charged both with false statements and gun possession. If Hunter were convicted on all the charges in the pending pair of trials, the maximum penalty would be 17 years in prison on the tax indictment and 25 years on the gun indictment. While it's highly unlikely those maximums would be imposed, their severity indicates the seriousness of the alleged wrongdoings. Hunter Biden admits to drug addiction during much of the period in question. Back in June, he agreed to a plea deal under which he admitted guilt on two tax misdemeanors, for which his lawyers noted he had already paid back taxes, and agreed to a, quote, diversion program on the drug charges, which required that he accept certain conditions and submit to monitoring by a federal court-appointed officer. The deal fell through in the federal courtroom in Delaware in July. The judge refused to accept the agreement because lawyers for the Justice Department and for Hunter disagreed on whether the deal prevented additional charges from being filed in the tax case. Absent a deal, Special Counsel Weiss proceeded to file the tax indictment in federal court in California last week. The entire Hunter Biden situation would be just one more seamy story if Hunter were just another accused person. But of course, he's not. He's the son of the president. And that's why the story fits into national politics. For months, a number of Republicans in the U.S. House have been investigating what they allege are financial illegalities involving President Biden, who, they say, has illegally abused his power, first as vice president under Barack Obama, and since 2021 as president himself. Some of them claim he tapped Hunter Biden's overseas business connections in Ukraine and China in collusion to enrich himself. Special Counsel Weiss, whom Trump appointed, has been investigating Hunter Biden for five years. He doesn't mention President Biden in the indictments against Hunter, and a 2020 U.S. Senate investigation led by Senators Chuck Grassley of Iowa and Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, while noting that Hunter Biden had used his family name in his foreign business dealings, found no evidence of wrongdoing by President Biden in that regard. But the House Oversight Committee, led by Republican Chair James Comer of Kentucky, continues to seek documents and testimony from the Biden administration to validate GOP suspicions about the president. So last week, fledgling Republican House Speaker Mike Johnson, no relation to Ron, announced that the entire House would vote this week on formally authorizing an impeachment inquiry into President Biden. Johnson said the White House rebuffs of the Oversight Committee's requests for information left Republicans, quote, no choice but to proceed with the impeachment inquiry. The U.S. Constitution provides for impeachment of federal officials for treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors, unquote. The bribery provision is closest to the violation 
for which House Republicans are investigating the president. The House Oversight Committee subpoenaed Hunter Biden for his testimony in early November. In late November, Hunter said he would comply if the hearing were held in public. The committee insisted on a private hearing, and the resulting standoff with that subpoena continues. The connection between former President Donald Trump's two impeachments and the current House Republican focus on President Joe Biden is inescapable. Trump said so himself. Politico reported that on September 14th, that Trump said that revenge was a likely motivator for the Biden impeachment inquiry. He said that if he himself hadn't been impeached, quote, perhaps you wouldn't have it being done to them, unquote. At any rate, the years-long House GOP attempt to get at President Biden through his son Hunter doesn't show much promise, at least not at this point. Even Speaker Johnson soft pedals the impeachment inquiry. On Tuesday last week, he tried to assure the nation that the House is not voting to impeach Biden just to continue its investigation. Quote, All the moderates in our conference Understand this is not a political decision, he said. Uh-huh. Johnson continued, quote, This is a legal decision. This is a constitutional decision. And whether someone is for or against impeachment is of no import right now. We have to continue our legal responsibility, and that is solely what this vote is about, unquote. The relevant question is how long the House Republican leadership will forge ahead with the Joe Biden investigation if it continues to come up empty, thereby accumulating further embarrassment. How long do you send out the dog if he won't hunt? This opinion is that of Rick Moraine, who is a reporter and columnist with the Jefferson Herald. Next, we have a piece from the Des Moines Register titled, Public Schools Are a Community Treasure. Treat them that way. This, written by Bruce Lear, who lives in Sioux City and has been connected to public schools for 38 years. When I was growing up in a one-blinking stoplight town, there were as many opinions as rumors, but one thing people agreed on was protecting our public school. It didn't matter if you owned the elevator or worked hourly pumping gas. It didn't matter if you were Presbyterian, Baptist, Catholic, Lutheran, or slept in on Sundays. It didn't matter if you lived in town, on a farm, or if your kids were school age or long gone. It didn't even matter if you were Republican or Democrat. Everyone wanted the gym heated up for basketball on Tuesday and Fridays during the winter, and everybody craved baseballs and softballs flying into the cornfield in left field during the summer. We wanted band and choir concerts and school plays. Most of all, we wanted our kids to have the same chances as we did. We cherished our public school, even though it was old, small, and unair-conditioned. It was Shellsburg Community Schools, and we were proudly the blue and white, singing Onward Warriors, the reworded Wisconsin fight song. It was ours. After all, Community was its middle name. The first wave of forest reorganization happened in the 1950s when country one-room schools were forced to shutter and students enrolled in town schools 
offering kindergarten through 12th grade. But in the mid-1960s, forced schools reconsolidation fever again swept through Iowa. Bigger became better. Our tiny school was at risk. My parents worked hard. They went to church. They went visiting on Sunday. They didn't do politics. But when the school was at risk, they got active. Sworn enemies united. They might never speak to each other at the post office, but they locked arms to protect our school. The grocer united with the bar owner, even though he professed never to have seen the inside of that lower tavern across the street. Our town would blow away without the school. They fought together. They lobbied. They attended school board meetings. To show just how serious the community took this battle, years after, I was in college and suffered from stupid sophomore syndrome. I joked, quote, Why didn't Shellsburg combine with Urbana so we could call the school Shellsburg Urbana Community Schools, which has the acronym SUCKS? That was met with silence and disdain, reserved for a fart in Sunday school. It was too soon, even after 20 years. Saving our school wasn't a joke. Because of a community effort, our school stood strong for another 30 years until it voluntarily began whole-grade sharing with Vinton in 1993. Community schools across Iowa are again at high risk, not from forced consolidation, but from apathy, teacher shortage, and funding issues. It's time to unite to save our schools again. Schools aren't a Democratic or Republican issue. They also aren't a political wedge to be used by either party. Schools are a community treasure. The community needs to guard and increase that treasure. Here's how, and this is a bullet list provided here. Form a coalition between business and educators speaking with one voice. I've never understood why business groups across Iowa don't make schools a centerpiece for attracting new business to the community. Schools are a huge quality of life issue. Next, reactivate dormant parent-teacher groups so that they do more than discuss cupcakes during Teacher Appreciation Week. And, work with private schools on shared interests like calendars, busing, and sharing teachers. And, hold all candidates to one standard by asking, quote, how are you going to support public schools? And lastly, schools need an open-door policy for the whole community. The Iowa State Education Association's longtime motto was, quote, Take pride in Iowa schools. Every community needs action to take the motto real. And about the author, Bruce Lear lives in Sioux City. He has been connected to public schools for 38 years. He taught for 11 years and represented educators as an Iowa State Education Association Regional Director for 27 years until retiring. His contact information is brucelear2419 at gmail.com. Now back to local news from The Courier. Bob Doerr brings Happy Blue Year celebration to Waterloo Center for the Arts. Dateline Waterloo. Iowa band legend Bob Doerr knows where he'll be when the ball drops in Times Square. He'll be ringing in 2024 
with friends at Happy Blue Year, a New Year's celebration on December 31st. Doors open at 7 p.m. at the Waterloo Center for the Arts at 225 Commercial Street, with music beginning at 7.30 p.m. It's a party with a purpose, said Dorr. Quote, We're helping raise funds for the Friends of the Center. All of the musicians are playing for way less money than they could get playing regular New Year's gigs. The musicians are behind the social importance of the thing. The Arts Center is all about supporting artists and musicians in the Cedar Valley and has been an integral part of keeping the local music scene together, he explained. Tickets are $30 in advance and $40 at the door. And tickets are limited. There will be two stages featuring performances by Deja Blue, the Blue Two, that's door and guitarist Jeff Peterson and friends, blues guitarist Sleepy Bones Allison, Phil and Travis Band, New Americana Band, The Nitpickers, Brian Sink and Cindy Grill Kirkpatrick. Dor said Grill Kirkpatrick, the lead singer for Hot Tamale and Red Hots, is a blues goddess from Des Moines. Unquote. Deja Blue will anchor the rock-oriented stage, while Dor's jam band will anchor the second, smaller stage. Quote, Sleepy Bones Allison has been playing with me since he was 15. Now he's a 21-year-old who is multi-instrumentalist and a mathematician. Those who have followed showcases with me will have seen his progression from a wide-eyed 15-year-old to a savvy 21-year-old young man, Dor said. Allison plays mandolin, bass, violin, and guitar with Doors Jam Band. Snacks will be provided by Friends of the Art Center, and beverages will be available to purchase. Hungry Charlie's will offer more substantial food to purchase. Dor and his wife Carolyn will celebrate their 14th wedding anniversary on New Year's Eve with a midnight champagne toast and wedding cake for revelers. Quote, Someone gave us a chocolate fountain for a wedding present 14 years ago, and it's never come out of the box. This year, I'm dedicated to trying to make that chocolate fountain work, said the iconic band leader and musician. Dora was inducted into the Iowa Rock and Roll Music Association Hall of Fame in the year 2000 as a radio DJ at KUNI Public Radio for many years. In addition to his radio career, Dor was founder and frontman for the beloved Blue Band for nearly 40 years until the group disbanded in 2017. In 2007, Dor was inducted as a band leader into the IRRMA Hall of Fame. In 2006, he was inducted into the Iowa Blues Hall of Fame. In addition to radio, Dor has kept himself plenty busy regularly performing music with friends as he pulls together for club and event performances, open jams, and his hot fudge music record label. Quote, I've organized and played some kind of New Year's celebration for the past 40 years, and I feel like I have to keep it up. It's just what I do. I'll be 72 in a couple of weeks. I really suck at quitting, said Dor, laughing. Advanced tickets will be sold at Wednesday's Deja Vu Jam 
at Screaming Eagle American Bar and Grill in downtown Waterloo, and during the Blues to Blues Jam session Thursday at Octopus on Cedar Falls College Hill. Tickets are also available at the Waterloo Center for the Arts and online. For more information, call the Waterloo Center for the Arts at area code 319-291-4490. And now, listeners, that's going to do it for today's reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Friday, December 22nd. I'm your volunteer reader, Bob Young. You can listen to a recording of this reading of the Courier or of the other newspapers around the state that we read. Just go to our website, iowaradioreading.org, at any time. And we want to thank you for listening to your IRIS, Iowa's first and only radio reading service. <music>